Hello, and welcome to PDA, Neurodivergence, and the Perpetually Determined Advocate. I am your Perpetually Determined Advocate, Cassandra. This is a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to raising awareness and acceptance of PDA, or Pathological Demand Avoidance, which is a lesser-known part of the autism spectrum. My hope for this podcast is to provide a place of learning and growth, as well as a platform for PDAers, professionals, parents, family members, and others to speak out on this condition, as well as providing resources for those who want to learn more. If you or someone you know would like to come on and use this platform to tell their story, please contact me at perpetuallydeterminedadvocate at gmail.com. Now, let's launch into this episode's topic. So today, I kind of want to talk about a subject that's come up a few times. I've mentioned it before, and that's, you know, residential care, uh, residential facilities, inpatient care, outpatient care, all of the things that kind of go along with um, these types of mental health facilities, right? And one of the things that I noticed whenever I was looking into this is you have a variety of options. You have the residential inpatient care, which can be short-term or sometimes a little bit longer-term stays. Um, And usually family counseling is part of that process, right, to help continue the um, success, the management, um, the steps that the hospital has put into place, right, to keep those wheels turning. And for some places, they will encourage those who have needed, who've had the more severe uh, situations, who who have needed the the inpatient care, to then transition into an outpatient form of treatment before then moving on to just, say, um, regular meetings with their psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever, Right. The normally, though, what it looks like from a few different places that I just kind of glanced over is that they base the format of care on the severity of the situation, right? Now, obviously, we would all love to have a facility near us that is knowledgeable about PDA and that utilizes treatments that are conducive to it. I mean, honestly. How great would the world be if we had a primary care doctor that knew about PDA, a, you know, psychiatrist or psychologist that, um, you know, sort of was educated in it too and used it to have the school using, you know, approaches that work best with PDA children, um, how to have it in the DSM-5, or what, well, in the diagnostic manual, to have it finally listed as a, a formal diagnosis, and then to have facilities who, whenever, you know, situations got to a severe point, were aware of PDA and could work with it. I mean, what kind of a perfect world would that be? <laughs> All right, and for us, for people raising PDAers, I mean, that... That's the kind of thing you think of, like, oh, my gosh, how, how incredible would it be if everybody just really started taking this seriously? Um, but they're not, and that's the reason why we have podcasts like this, right, for those of us who are in this situation to sort of have a place to turn to, right? And for me, it's always just been a really great 
outlet because I am able to sort of talk about these things and get that out there. And there are those of you listening who who get it, you understand, and you reach out to me and you talk to me and you, you let me know that I, you know, I get it. This is, this is what we're experiencing right now. Um, or you send me links or, you know, all of the great things that I hear from my listeners. And I, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all of you. It's amazing to sort of build this community of people who you get it, you understand. And that's, you know, having that having other people out there who can relate and, you know, who come in and they're you, you say, you know, I, it, that was the light bulb moment, I finally realized this is what's going on with me, or this is what's going on with my kid. Um, you know, that's just been a really amazing experience for me as well, you know, to be able to help, um, as much as it helps me to sort of get this stuff out, right? We all need that, um, that catharsis. That's something that we can sort of reach out and hold on to. So when it comes to residential care, though, this is one that I, I, I struggle with it, right? For me, Declan's psychiatrist did recommend uh, a facility. And the one that he recommended is about two hours away from me. And they, from what I've seen, I've been, you know, sort of digging through and reading all of their um, information on their website and their literature and things like that. And it's, it appears they, you know, they provide treatment for all ages from children up to adults, but they're, they have different approaches for various different groups. So their child care um, I don't know if it's a unit or a floor or how it's how it's set up. I haven't quite gotten to the consultation bit, but for children it's geared for 8 to 12 year olds, right? And so that does sort of make me feel better in knowing that they don't try sort of a a one size fits all for all those age ranges uh or those ages in that range that they see. They approach younger children differently than adolescents. Um, it says that they utilize evidence-based treatment approaches, various therapy techniques, and medication management, which sounds really great. But, I mean, there are some evidence-based treatments that don't always work with PDA, right? So they tend to, though, they say they tailor treatment plans individually by talking and working with the families and also make sure the proper support and resources are there after discharge in order to continue that positive arc, right? And, you know, of course, part of that is, you know, providing the family with a list of providers in their area that can help with continued care if you don't already have someone that your child was seeing on a regular basis. Um, in our case, I mean, we have, you know, a really great person that Declan, uh, that we take him to see that handles the stuff going on with him um, and that... Uh, handles medication as well. He sees one of my other kiddos as well because my um, 16-year-old is also um, on a little bit in that whole neurodivergent group. Um, so we're a, a whole family going in there, and we really like uh, the doctor that we see. Now, as far as 
what they listed for, you know, like the family therapy, because they do bring the family in as part of the care so that this whole thing from start to finish does include not only the child, but the family so that they're up to date on what techniques are being offered, what's being, you know, what has been successful. And here's what you need to understand about where your child's coming from, right? Looping the family in, which I think is great because that provides you with the information. Like, I don't know, this just, this always happens, you know, at this time of day, or this always happens in this situation. Um, and we can't figure out what the trigger is. Well, they may be able to sort of loop you in on that. Like that's, this is what's going on. This is what's causing this because of course they have that uh, expertise, right? And so they can help support those positive practices and skills that your child is learning while in treatment by looping you in and making you part of that family therapy um, so that you can then continue some of those, um, continue utilizing those skills as you go forward. This particular facility also offers a free consultation to families considering inpatient stays uh, to help sort of alleviate any concerns, explain processes, explain approaches, their staff, etc. Um, and I think for the most part, most places will offer a consultation, whether or not it's free. I don't know. It could be sort of based on insurance. That's really something you have to check with like individual facilities. But um, for the most part, they all seem to, or just like, I don't want to say all, but several of those that I looked at showed, you know, a consultation to sort of get a feel for what's going on and see whether or not they can help you, right? Because if you just sort of show up, I mean, you can just sort of show up. I was told by the psychiatrist, we could just sort of show up there and be like, hey, we need your help. And so you can, but at the same time, if you do the consultation, then that can sort of give you an idea of um, what they can do for you. But of course, obviously, if you're in an emergency situation, then you can't really go through those steps. But all in all, this seems like a pretty solid facility, but the whole idea of it still sends my guts into knots, I will be honest. You know, I've been concerned about the idea of inpatient stay for Declan for a few reasons, one of which I've mentioned before, right? It's the fact that he has a very low self-image, and this place is like two hours away, you know? And I just fear so much that he will feel like he has been abandoned more times than I can remember. This kid has said to me, just get rid of me then. Right. I mean, this is for those of you who've been listening since the beginning, you kind of know that with him, it used to be, um, you know, you should just get rid of me or you should just throw me away or, you know, you should just get rid of me so you can have another kid or a better kid or you know and then we sort of escalated to you should just kill me or I should just kill myself um and then of course there have been attempts to try to do that and so this low self-image and this idea that he is somehow uh disposable is one of the things that has really terrified me about the idea of an inpatient stay um you know more this is just like feels like taking him there would be like his worst fear coming true and I just don't know if I could bear to cause that heartache 
I would obviously be staying in a hotel nearby to allow me to visit him as often as allowed. And I would be there for the duration of however long he was there. Right. And, you know, going in there, meeting with the doctors and and seeing him so that he would know he hasn't just been dropped off and left and, and we're gone. Right. I'd it wouldn't be, I'm not, I don't mean he would feel abandoned in, in that regard, that I would just leave him and, and go and never not show up again until his treatment was over. I mean, obviously I would be there with him, but still just the idea of, of checking him in and then at some point I am going to have to leave him there, right? And I just, I fear what that would be like for him. I, I just feel like he would be devastated, you know? And the second reason I've been reluctant is that I just don't feel like he's gotten to a point that is bad enough to necessitate it just yet. I think and I fear that we're getting close, um, especially the closer we get to puberty. (laughs) His doctor says that Shane and I are actually able to handle more than most people. (laughs) He said there are some people who would have already brought their child and dropped him off, but you know, I just, I think for some, if you don't have a kid that has that low self-image and they are having these issues with aggression and some of the things that we've dealt with with Declan, then absolutely, I can see where someone would go. Um, and I'm not judging anyone who has gone, you know, who doesn't stick it out longer. You know, everyone works within their own boundaries with what they can do. And, you know, some people are just built differently and have different limits. And so, you know, for us, I just don't feel like we've gotten to that limit yet, you know. And I want to think that, you know, things would would have to get pretty bad for me to send him in for treatment. But the other thing is, I also wonder if that could be causing problems too, right? Am I causing irreparable harm by trying to handle all this at home? Could he be learning healthier tactics to make his life less tumultuous with a short-term residential stay? Am I, by keeping, by putting this off longer, making it so that he's going to have to stay somewhere longer, you know, like by holding off and waiting until things get worse, am I making it so that he has to stay in a facility for a longer amount of time? Am I creating more problems that they're going to have to undo, right? I mean, I'm not a mental health professional, so should I be letting someone who is help him learn these coping and management uh, skills for, you know, making, mitigating his meltdowns? I mean, it's a constant internal struggle that I know many of you are, you know, sort of knowing this all too well. This is resonating. Um, You know, we battle to find that middle ground where we help our kiddos find a way to navigate this world that isn't built for them. And some of us, of course, avoid asking for help because we know people usually don't understand. And, you know, then when we do, when things do sort of come to the surface, people are like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And it's like, yeah, that's because you would have tried to tell me how to handle it, right? And on and on it goes, right? So I don't know. It's it's a struggle, right? It is definitely a struggle. Now, the hospital that I looked at, like I mentioned, it does cater to different ages. And for adolescents, they actually have multiple levels of care. So for those of you with 
older kiddos uh, with teens, if you will, because it's like 13 to 17. So what they can do with teens is sort of help with the issues that they may be experiencing that could be causing problems at home or causing problems at school. And their treatment programs help to sort of really refine and define, well, define and then refine, I guess, would be the the steps there, uh, proper coping mechanisms to the pressures of life, uh, to manage their triggers and um, any symptoms they may be having, whether that's anxiety or depression or, or whatnot, during, like, to help manage those things during times of crisis and increased stress, right? And this can be especially useful for PDAers because they live with that heightened anxiety and it sort of can help them learn to mitigate escalations of anxiety before meltdowns occur. And, you know, those impulsive behaviors kick in once the meltdown uh, ensues. And so their treatment It says it's sort of based on the notion that they work to stabilize the most pressing symptoms while teaching them the necessary, them being the children, the necessary skills to maintain a healthy mental health outlook once they leave our care, right? So as with the younger children, you do have like the treatment plan includes family therapy to help the parents as well as the child learn how to continue progress made during the inpatient treatment. You know, they want us as parents to sort of have those tools and the knowledge of how to use the tools to help their teens when these problems may arise at home, at school, or out in other social situations, right? To be able to sort of notice the change and help prevent things from escalating back to wherever it was that they were when you brought them to the facility for either inpatient or outpatient care, right? Because with the adolescents, with the teens, they do have, uh, like I said, a variety of options. With the younger ones, it's mainly just um, this facility, at least. It's just inpatient care. And then with the older kiddos, there's uh, a variety of those, right? And I mean, let's face it, what kids are experiencing now in school has shifted. I, you know, it was 20 some odd years ago that I graduated from high school. And I remember it being a fairly hectic time. But now, I mean, whether we're talking about academic rigor, um, the major influence of social media, or just like good old fashioned peer pressure, things have gotten more intense. I've seen it with my older kids. And it can be truly worrisome for parents, especially parents of neurodivergent kids, right? The world is more interconnected than ever. And the rumor mill now runs on Wi-Fi and group messages. It's all too easy for one moment to become immortalized and then memed and then who knows what else, right? And that can lead to a cascade of negative thoughts and emotions in both neurotypical as well as neurodivergent teens. But when you combine all of that and, you know, the bullying and, you know, just sort of the the constant pressure of people ridiculing you for this moment that may have been completely out of your control, it could have been, you know, something in a meltdown, and it just keeps getting brought up, when you've got a kid that is 
low on impulse control that can lead to some really tragic circumstances. And for that, I think parents need to be prepared on how to help our kids through these issues. So I completely applaud including the parents and the counseling, you know, and sort of making it people come face to face with it. Cause I know there are a lot of, of parents that I talk to and I'm like, yeah, I mean, high school is rough on kids now. And they're like, Oh, high school's always been rough for kids. It's always been hard, you know, but they, they'll get through it. We got through it. And it's like, yeah, but they're dealing with some stuff now that we didn't have to deal with. And I know that like my generation dealt with stuff that my parents didn't have to, but still it's just this idea that you do have to sort of adapt your approach. You do have to sort of adapt your parenting. And you do have to admit that there's a different set of problems facing kids now. And so bringing parents in and saying, look, we need to talk about the elephant in the room. Like, this is the problem. Here is the issue that your kids are dealing with now. And you need to be prepared for how to deal with that. I think that's a really important aspect of it, right? And so that will help the kids to, you know, have that network and that safety net at home so that the parents can be part, can be in sort of that um, support system for helping kids after they leave residential care, especially, my goodness, if someone were to find out that your child was away for psychiatric treatment and decided to make that into some sort of horrible mess, right? Because of that sort of stigma on mental health and whatnot. So, I mean, some people are cruel and they will try to use that as a weapon to cause more harm. And so they need to have that, you know, that safety net and some mechanisms in place for after they leave care. So the other levels, because I mentioned, you know, for the adolescents, they had the inpatient care, but they also have um, outpatient. So inpatient and residential care is mainly for the more extreme cases, right? So that's 24-hour care, monitoring of behaviors, uh, and, you know, they have doctors and nurses around the clock, um, monitoring, stabilizing, uh, making sure that good choices are being made, and sort of heading back towards better management of the stress and the anxiety. And I mean, in younger children, obviously, that's going to be helpful because the younger kiddos are, you know, they're having difficulty understanding and expressing these larger emotions. And they're having, you know, these thoughts, especially with our PDAers, right, their brains are telling them do this, do this, do this. And because, you know, there's that impulse control and, um, you know, when the inner Loki, as Harry calls it, right, acts up, sometimes they just, they need help understanding what's going on so that they don't turn on themselves. And then, of course, for the older children, for adolescents and teens, it's helpful to have someone there to sort of help them prevent doing the unthinkable, Right that most of us parents of neurodivergent kiddos and PDAers worry about. It's not to say that the younger ones haven't considered or thought about the same thing, but again, the younger ones are only able to be there for inpatient care. Now, in terms of outpatient care, that's another of those levels. Um, they have partial hospitalization that it was listed, and then, of course, um, outpatient therapeutic avenues available 
And that's for situations where your regular meetings with your mental health professional, whether that's a psychologist or psychiatrist, those aren't enough. You need something a step up, but not quite residential care, right? So they have this sort of middle ground for these older kids where they can intervene and help with a combination of like therapy, one-on-one therapy, group and family therapy sessions, medication management, all of these things together to help sort of in that middle ground area where you you know, to maybe prevent things from escalating to the point of needing residential care, right? I mean, none of us ever start our parenting journey thinking that we may have to admit our children into a mental health facility for treatment and, you know, for them to get help in managing their mental wellness. But those of us raising differently wired kiddos, Sometimes that can provide resources for them that we're unaware of and or not able to provide, right? And I think in some ways, I've probably also felt that if I have to send Declan for a short-term stay, that it somehow means that I've failed him. And honestly, I'm sure some of you have felt that way too. And the fact is, it isn't a failure on our part. And on some level, I know that. But on other levels, it, it, that's, that is the voice in my head, right? And sometimes we just, we reach the end of what we can do to support our kids. And we need help from people more familiar and trained for those, those situations, right? And they have an idea of the latest treatments they have they know the avenues to find information to help with certain situations and additionally i think it's also challenging mentally and emotionally to raise a neurodivergent child now that is not a complaint you guys know me i'm not i do not complain about my children i don't want them to change i absolutely adore them the way that they are because who they are is incredible and they through their neurodivergence, the varieties of their neurodivergence have shown me a different way to look at the world and have taught me amazing things. I would not trade who my children are. I love them. And I mean, sometimes I wish that their, their brains maybe tortured them a little bit less, but I wouldn't change who they are. And I'm also, I mean, I'm not sitting here looking for a gold star either. I'm merely just stating a fact. I mean, it is, you know, a it can put a strain on you whenever you're having to worry about, okay, is this going to cause a meltdown? What could be the triggers here? What's my backup plan? Where's my escape route? You know, those types of things are rough. And then making it through a meltdown, making sure that you can keep your calm, your composure, holding it all together to make sure that you're there calm in the storm because that's what they need, right? They need that calm. And so learning these techniques and and being able to hold on to it, it it can be hard sometimes right we run into some pretty stressful situations and that puts a strain on the parents pure and simple now it doesn't make your child a problem and it doesn't make you a bad parent to admit that there is a bit of a strain on you so if things have escalated to the point where you're considering inpatient residential care chances are you're at a pretty strained point as well. 
if your child has reached sort of this breaking point, you're probably um, on some pretty rocky ground yourself, right? And so having that time while they're in the facility, you're visiting them, they're being cared for with the doctors, and they're getting their medication, you know, leveled out and learning these coping skills, you're able to visit with your child and recharge while they're receiving that treatment, that help, that's a huge benefit to you both, right? And so that's something that can also help you to recharge to be that safety net for them whenever they come back. And that's just better for everybody, right? Take care, wonderful people, and I love you. As always, you can email me with any questions, comments, constructive criticism, or concerns at perpetuallydeterminedadvocate at gmail.com. You can also find the podcast on social media. Just search PDA Neurodivergence and the Perpetually Determined Advocate on Facebook or Instagram. And until next time, remember, In a world where you can be anything, be kind.